Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Monday, January the 13th. Thanks as always for tuning in. Hope you had a great weekend and were able to stay warm. Hope everyone was able to uh, get their car started and, uh, you know, are taking the time to drive safely here while out on the roads today. So we are in that deep freeze here now. Highs over the next three days, minus 18, minus 20, minus 17, and minus 15. And then the lows out there are hitting minus 25 overnight tomorrow, uh, looking at minus 30 on Tuesday night. So it uh, sounds like it's a good week to uh, put on the fire, wrap yourself up with a good blanket, and just uh, avoid the outdoors if, if possible. Although I guess if you like the cold weather, then uh, maybe this is your dream come true right now. I got a good show lined up for you here today to kick off the back half of the show. I will be joined by the chair of the Thompson Nicola Regional District. Ken Gillis will join me after an article in the local paper reported that Wells Gray Director Carol Schaefer voted against a hospitality policy that guides TNRD staff and board members about the hospitality-related activities, including offering and consuming alcohol at events. So Ken's going to join me to talk about what exactly happened when it comes to this policy and uh, some concerns that he had with the information and how it is being presented. So he will join me at around 9.35. Ending off the show, as usual, on Monday, I'm joined by Kamloops Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane. He's going to take a look back at a pretty exciting couple of games here over the weekend. Well, exciting if you like old-time hockey. There were 18 fighting majors handed out on Saturday night in Kelowna. A total of uh, 234 penalty minutes is what I was able to add up there in that game. So quite Quite a rough one, if you will. Here is uh, John Keane's call when a fight broke out between the two goaltenders. That was the Blazers' Dylan Garand and the Rockets' Roman Bazarin. Feist, is he playing forward right now? Have they got him forward? Or is he just going for a bit of a walk here? Yeah, He's playing forward. He's looking for something. Well, he's out there for a reason. He's looking at it, whoever. Now it goes in behind the net. Korzak trying to get the cross-check in here to belt it. They're going to call that. And they're going to call that. And now Korzak keeps on cross-checking here. Now he's going to try to jump somebody. Rockets here trying to start a line brawl, I think, here. 100%. Yeah, and, well, we got everybody here. Bazran's looking at Garand. Bazran is looking at... Oh, they're going to go oh. here. Bazarin and Duran. Look at this. Goalie fight here. at center heist. And Duran doesn't do this from ladder to big right hand. They're chucking here. They're really chucking as they go down the ice together. Duran and Bazarin have a good scrap there. And now we got Havelock and Kiefer are going to have a scrap here. Despite all of that rough stuff, the Blazers did come away with a pair of wins. That's, of course, the most important part of the weekend series. The Blazers now sit 10 points clear of Kelowna in the standings, and they're also six points up on Victoria for that top spot in the BC division. Uh, here's head coach Sean Clouston, who spoke with uh, Howie Reimer on the NL Morning News today. He uh, took a look at how his team responded to that whole uh, rough situation that broke out. You know, obviously, there was one team that was extremely frustrated. Um, you know, there was, there was one team that wasn't frustrated and, um, you know, some, sometimes that's a direction that you know, players or, or, or coaching staffs go. Um, it had, it, it's not a direction that, that happens that often. Uh, I mean, that might be, I mean, I've coached at this league for 
a lot of years, and that's as, as many majors as I've seen in a very short amount of time. I think it was 18 majors when the first fight was, you know, there's four something left on the clock. So that, that, that was obviously very extreme. I thought the guys uh, handled themselves well. In general, not a lot of, you know, worse for wear type scenarios. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to break us down. I think it's going to m- make us closer. I mean, the, the team really, um, you know, stuck together and, and, and really stood up for each other and themselves. And so I think it was in general, you know, from that standpoint, you know, not going to be a negative for our team. It's going to be a positive. So uh, stay tuned for the 9.50 mark of today's show to hear my chat with Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane. He'll help break down what was a, a very entertaining home-and-home miniseries there over the weekend with the Kelowna Rockets. And then uh, coming up next, we'll be joined by Ackerman Law's Kyla Lee. A couple of issues for us to discuss here today. One uh, being the case of Jessica Yaniv. If you're unfamiliar with this story, Yaniv is a transgender activist behind a series of controversial human rights complaints against BC waxing salons. The BC Human Rights Tribunal has dismissed more than half a dozen complaints from Yaniv who accused salon workers of discrimination because they refused to wax her male genitalia. Well, uh, she has since filed another complaint over what she says was a salon's refusal to wax her legs. Um, the most recent complaint involves a beauty studio in Vancouver. So should the BC Human Rights Tribunal be accepting another case involving this person? Well, Kyla and I will be discussing that issue of abusing the system and uh, we'll also be chatting about concerns that have uh, been brought to light as a result of an Indigenous man and his granddaughter that were arrested at a Vancouver Bank of Montreal branch while attempting to open an account for the 12-year-old granddaughter. Uh, An employee questioned the pair's identification, which included Indian status cards. Uh, Police were called. Both were handcuffed. Probably not something that should be happening to a 12-year-old girl. And uh, in my opinion, that sounds like something that could involve... Um, you know, a bit of a traumatic experience for this this young girl, and it uh, could be a difficult relationship to repair. Repair when talking about uh, you know how um, Indigenous people are, are relate with with police, and, and it can be a difficult situation in certain areas of the country, and and really just overall, it's uh, it's a contentious relationship that we've seen. Um, you know, broken down in a number of different ways. And this uh, certainly doesn't help when looking at, uh, you know, how the relationship between Indigenous individuals and police officers um, is progressing. So hopefully, uh, you know, this situation will help uh, bring forward some positive and we'll see some change as a result of, um, you know, what what happened here. But I'll be talking with Kyla about this specific issue, sort of uh, what the concerns are when we're talking about, uh, you know, a a case of mistaken identity, if you will, and um, go from there and, and just figure out kind of what the rights of these individuals are moving forward if there is any more action they should be taking or uh, you know if they should accept the apology that uh, the Bank of Montreal has issued and, and just move on so Kylie and I will discuss all of that coming up next so stay tuned the Jeff Andrea show will be back after this radio NL radio nl.com local news now the voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Hello and welcome back into the show here on Radio NL and thanks so much for listening. I'm joined on the line now by Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, thanks so much for coming on the show here. Thank you for having me. Good morning. So uh, let's just start here with this situation out of Vancouver. So an Indigenous man and his uh, 12-year-old granddaughter were arrested at a bank as they were trying to open an account for this young preteen girl. Well, uh, I just want to kind of get your initial reaction when you first read that this story took place. I mean, what what were you thinking when when you saw that, you know, a man and his granddaughter were arrested simply while they were trying to open an account? 
I was appalled. And to my mind, everything that happened from what happened at the bank to what happened when the police arrived appears to be very consistent with sort of the systemic and institutionalized racism that Indigenous people in Canada have been facing against institutions for such a long period of time. Now, uh, you know, since this story happened, I've seen like, you know, Senator Murray Sinclair says that businesses must be providing better training to, to staff in order to prevent this kind of racial profiling that took place. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm curious. I mean, he, he talks about businesses. There's also, of course, the issue of when it comes to, to the relationship with police officers as well. Um, I guess who, who is really is it both people that are kind of really at fault here, both organizations, both the bank itself and the police? Is there one you think that maybe deserves more um, you know, scrutiny than the other? How are you viewing just sort of these two separate parties that are involved in this case? I think both uh, deserve equal blame here. The bank uh, and, the, and the bank employee in particular for having policies in place that um, allowed uh, an employee to look at an Indigenous grandfather and a 12-year-old girl and conclude that they're somehow engaged in some type of fraud simply because, as it, as it appears from the information that we've received, this man had money in his bank account and was wanting to set up a, an account for his granddaughter so he could transfer some of it to her. Um, that, that's one thing that, uh, that I think is a, a huge failure. Um, the other thing is, is the way that the police reacted. I mean, there's really no excuse unless there's threats of violence um, for putting a 12-year-old, regardless of their ancestry, in handcuffs. Um, and the Vancouver Police's response and sort of explanation for why it, it was the case that this girl was placed in handcuffs and arrested um, has been incredibly lacking at every stage that they've tried to justify their actions in this case. Yeah, my biggest concern with, with that is part in particular is just, you know, we've already, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the systemic issues that uh, um, already exist when you're talking about the relationship between Indigenous people and uh, police officers and, and putting a 12-year-old in handcuffs is probably something that this girl will remember forever and it's probably a, a relationship that might be difficult to, to rebuild and try to regain that trust of of the, the law enforcement officials and and just sort of what that may mean uh, moving forward uh, so that that's my biggest concern here from all of this is just you know when we look at relationships that exist um, and they're already you know somewhat contentious and this this certainly isn't going to help that kind of situation yeah, and there, there are good policy reasons why police do use handcuffs in certain circumstances, but at the end of the day, it's up to an officer's individual discretion. And if they're just considering, you know, we have a report of a criminal event taking place and we have to investigate this, so we have to handcuff the suspect, and not considering factors like a person's indi Indigenous ancestry and how that's going to impact them from that position of, of being the victim of systemic abuses from the state, that's a concern, because officers need to have that at the forefront of their mind when they're exercising their discretion not after the fact what what are the legal rights i guess of these these two people here now moving forward this uh this indigenous man and his granddaughter uh bimo has apologized for the incident but is there anything else that that can be done here moving forward is this just a matter of them uh, kind of accepting the apology and, and then moving on or, or where do things go from here is there anything else that can be done Oh, absolutely. They can file a complaint with the BC Human Rights Tribunal um, based on how the police and the um, uh, and the bank uh, discriminated against them. And they can also file a complaint against the Vancouver Police Department for the actions of the officers in going too far in using a, you know, a method of force by applying handcuffs to somebody who in the circumstances did not need to be handcuffed and gave no indication of any violence or any threat to police that justified that level of force on a child. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how this case is handled moving forward, if anything else does come of it, or or if, uh, you know, they do just kind of accept this apology and, and move on, not wanting to maybe stir the pot any further. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe some further action does need to be taken, just for the simple fact that people can, can then learn more from the situation if, if things do progress a little bit more than just, uh, you know, an apology and having having that move forward. Um, since you had brought up also the uh, the Human Rights Tribunal, I did want to ask about the case, um, this latest case, if you will, involving Jessica Yanov. So this uh, transgender woman who has already had over six cases dismissed by the BC Human Rights Tribunal after accusing salon workers of uh, discrimination because they refused to wax her male genitalia. So I just wanted to know sort of what your take is on this. So she's filed another case against a Vancouver salon for their refusal to wax her legs. I mean, um, <laughs> this person's already had a number of cases dismissed and yet she keeps being able to file these complaints. Uh, it's starting to feel like a bit of an abuse of the system here. This is an abuse of the system. Well, on the one hand, you know, her, her newest complaint about waxing her legs as opposed to waxing, you know, her genitalia is, uh, is different. It's still grounded in this, in this desire that seems to be clear from this person that they are willing to use the human rights uh, tribunal as a process to force people into doing things that they're not comfortable doing as opposed to for a legitimate purpose, which is to address an action that is grounded in discrimination discriminatory conduct and to to get you know reparations for the harm that have been has been suffered as a result of that and I what I see from this is not that Jessica Yanov has learned that bringing these actions when they're not um, when they're not properly founded is harmful to the trans community is harmful to the LGBTQ community is harmful to the people who are having to respond to these complaints but that she just needs to change the wording of her complaint to shoehorn it into some type of a discrimination and she's going out and seeking uh, to be discriminated against for the purposes of bringing these actions. And I think everybody who, who runs a salon um, in the Lower Mainland now is aware of her and aware of her conduct. And I, I think people don't want to deal with her because of the way she behaves, not having anything to do with her being transgender. Yeah, and uh, this is one of the reasons I've always been kind of hesitant to even talk about this story is just because I feel like uh, the more that it gets brought forward, it, it just uh, you know entices Jessica to, to continue to, to make these kinds of cases because she gets this media attention, she gets the publicity, and um, I think uh, it seems to be something that she thrives on a little bit here as well. Um, I guess, what, what are the rights here of the, the BC Human Rights Tribunal? I mean, can they refuse to accept these complaints, or do they have to go about uh, investigating every time someone makes a complaint like this, or, or sort of what is their role here? When we're looking at, you know, someone submitting a uh, case upon case, um, you know, with, with similar um, goals and, and yet uh, they're, they're being dismissed and yet more keep coming forward. There is a, sort of a gatekeeping function that the tribunal has to perform in the sense that if somebody is repeatedly submitting complaints that are without merit and, and repeatedly having the same actions or the same circumstances dismissed and filing them again, um, that, that constitutes an abusive process. And uh, the Human Rights Tribunal or, or people who have, have been sort of um, targeted by uh, Jessica Yanov can seek an order from the court prohibiting her from filing any claims without leave from the court and essentially declaring her a vexatious litigant within that tribunal sphere. And it may be appropriate um, if she continues down this, this course of conduct with these types of claims to do that. I think at this stage it would be too early um, for, for intervention from the courts calling her a vexatious litigant within the tribunal system, but there will come a time if she continues down this path that she's going to end up being in a position where she has to get leave from the court in order to file a claim to begin with.
So if you think it's still too early to go about, uh, you know, setting forth that process, I mean, what, what, uh, what more would have to be done before you would feel that it would be a, an appropriate action to take? I mean, uh, we're talking about, you know, seven, eight cases here where they've already all been dismissed for the most part and, and, and more keep getting filed. And it's just, it feels like a real um, issue and a kind of a, a, I don't want to say a waste of time for the uh, Human Rights Tribunal, but, you know, when, when you're going to come forward with uh, similar recommendations again and again and again, it, it is kind of a waste of their time. And, um, you know, at, at what point, I guess, is it uh, is it worth the industry sort of taking up further action against this individual? Well, I think the difficulty that makes it um, harder to take that step at this stage with her has been that the, you know, the first half dozen claims were all heard together. Um, and so it really was only one one claim in the sense that it was multiple claims, but they were all heard and adjudicated at the same time. So we'd have to see, you know, five or six separate claims being heard before you can say, okay, you know, this is too much. This is an abuse of the system, even though it appears to be clear that this is what she's doing. And the problem with this is, is for every, you know, every trans person that's trying to address legitimate human rights claims, she's sucking the legitimacy away from the process and sucking the legitimacy away from people who have who have meritorious claims who have actually been discriminated against on the basis of them being transgendered and that's the most incredibly disappointing thing about this is it's harmful to her own community Oh yeah, that's uh, that's uh, definitely been an issue that has been brought up here by countless people. Just talking about the concerns of of not only the issues that she's bringing forward, but what it's done to to the movement, you know, the trans movement of people who are trying to, uh, you know, make lives better for themselves and and make people aware of their situation and what they go through on a daily basis. And and this um, this individual really kind of uh, sets things back in that regard. And and cases like this continuing to come forward are not going to help that case and are not going to help the way that people view this community. And um, you know, hopefully one day we see this kind of come to an end and, and things will improve as a result but uh, we'll see we'll see i guess this is, just has to continue to go through the uh, human rights tribunal we'll see what happens with this uh, this latest case and and if um, you know the, the similar decisions are made and, and that is uh, dismissed again but uh, it's something to follow and and i think it's an issue that uh, has to be discussed and uh, unfortunately it's, it has to continue to be discussed because the the issues keep coming forward uh, thanks so much for taking the time Kala. always love talking to you on monday mornings and uh, i look forward to doing it again next week Great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. That was Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Uh, coming up next, uh, many people, or sorry, the TNRD has uh, come up with a new hospitality policy and how things such as meals are, are paid for when having uh, events and hosting you know, officials from the TNRD and political officials and, and also when it comes to alcohol, what is, uh, what is allowed to be consumed, what is allowed to be uh, offered up. So we'll be chatting with the chair of the TNRD, Ken Gillis, after the break. So stick around. opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Monday, January 13th. Thanks as always for tuning in. An article last week in the local newspaper raised the issue of hospitality guidelines for TNRD staff and board members. The article states that one director was opposed to the policy, saying it doesn't go far enough. While everyone else did vote in favor of this policy, and uh, TNRD Chair Ken Gillis had also said that, well... There really hasn't been any issue when it comes to this kind of policy. Well, I'm joined on the phone now by the chair of the Thompson-Nicola Regional District, Ken Gillis. Ken, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. 
So let me just start by getting sort of your initial reaction here, because when I talked to you on Friday, you uh, you weren't too happy with the way that this article was written. So can you maybe just kind of give me a rundown of your overall concerns with, uh, with with this article itself and and just, you know, why you feel like this policy doesn't really need to be brought forward as uh, as some breaking news here? Oh, well, it's uh, you're welcome to bring it forward as breaking news anytime. That wasn't my concern. My concern was that... Uh, well, in the first place, we always welcome the media. There was a comment in that uh, article to the subject, to the uh, point, uh, effect. Pardon me that that uh, this had been done somehow or other in secret at an out of town meeting where media were not present and there was no electronic record of the uh, of the meeting, only the minutes, and the minutes just posted the bare facts. And the truth is that every year we go to a member municipality. Uh, so really, so that they can see their board in action. The local people can come and see us in action if they want to, and they can come and talk to us. And I think that policy speaks indirectly but loudly to how important we think our member municipalities are. As far as this particular motion was concerned, nobody knew that it was coming. Uh, Director Al Rain raised it in the context of uh, our UBCM dinner, where we invite our MLAs and member municipalities and their senior staff annually to a dinner in lieu of the um, in lieu of the UBCM banquet. Uh, tickets for which are quite expensive, I might add. So uh, Al Rain uh, raised that. Uh, in connection with uh, with uh, discussion we were having about inviting the MLAs, where we wanted to make that our policy, and uh, and it was ref and here's how exciting it was, Jeff. He raised it, said perhaps we should have a policy uh, ref with uh, reference to alcohol. Uh, the board agreed, and we referred it to staff for. Uh, their uh, input so that they could develop a policy. And what happened in November was the fact that staff had developed a policy, which is now pretty well known, I guess, and uh, they brought that forward at an open November meeting in Kamloops, where the media were present, uh, or certainly had the opportunity to be, and we passed it. And as far as I was concerned, and I said at the time, it was no big deal. We identified a gap in our policy, and we filled it. And uh, it says that if we are acting as hosts, we can supply beer and or wine. If, you know, if uh, anybody wants a cocktail, then he'd better get his MasterCard out because you buy your own. Uh, I, I can tell you that we had a small Christmas gathering for our board members. It was held at the plaza. Snack food was provided, but anybody who wanted a drink, even on that occasion, even a glass of wine or a, or a bottle of beer, anybody who wanted that bought uh, his or her own because we were not hosting guests. But uh, So I think this is a very, very limited uh, opportunity for the TNRD to buy a bottle of wine to have it on the table when you're having guests at dinner. And I, I think that it's the whole thing has been a temp tempest in a teapot. So I guess what what is the rules here moving forward? I mean, just from um, you know, you had said here that uh, you didn't really think this was uh, much of an issue in the first place, and I guess was was there a, a need for an alcohol policy to be brought forward? You mentioned um, uh, Mayor Sun Peaks there, Al Rain brought forward the issue that maybe something you know should be on the books when it comes to having a specific guideline, and and so yeah, you guys have gone ahead and, and done that, and it seems pretty straightforward. Something that a lot of uh, you know municipalities would have in place as well when it comes to their staff hosting guests. Um, so it. It's all just seems like pretty standard procedure here. 
That is, as far as I'm concerned, it was standard procedure. Um, Director Rain, rightly so, considered that he identified a gap in our policy and suggested that staff should develop a policy respecting that. Staff did. We adopted it. It's pretty simple. And there was certainly no attempt to sneak out of town and, and, and bring this subject up. But we didn't even know it was coming up. <laughs> yeah, I guess the, the main points, on the agenda. Yeah, the main points I guess here are just to say that uh, you know you're not trying to to sneak any kind of policy through without people knowing about it, uh, as some might interpret with uh, with how this was uh, that one specific line that you had brought forward, and also just um, you know that. TNRD board members and officials are are not uh, going out and spending a whole bunch of whole bunch of TNRD money on on alcohol and then uh, you know having a few too many while they're hosting guests. I guess that's kind of the main thing, right? Is you're not sneaking around behind people's backs and you're not uh, out there getting drunk on a daily basis. You put it very well, and uh, we were certainly happy to have the public know what the policy is. And I want to add something, Jeff, um, with respect to uh, Director Schaefer's concern. Uh, and she is apparently concerned that it's not specific enough. There was no amendment offered at the board table. The the uh, the motion passed in November 25 to 1, I think. So, you know, I mean, that would have been an appropriate time to offer changes, but no such offers were made. Do we have a few minutes? Yeah, we have a couple of minutes left anyway. Okay, good. Um, you know, I just want you to know that we understand that the media play a... a, a really a vital role in any democracy and, and that our taxpayers rely on you you know to tell them what the hell we're up to and if we mess up i would fully expect you know you to bring that to the public's attention and frankly jeff i'd be disappointed if you didn't you know um it's it, it's certainly not your job to try to make us look good I, I just feel, on the other hand, it's not your job to suggest through any kind of slanted reporting that we're misconducting ourselves. And it doesn't matter what you say, really, if what you don't say is more damning. And I'll leave you with this, if I may. There was a ship out on the ocean, and the mate came to take over his watch one evening, and he was drunk. And the next evening when he came to take over his watch, the captain had written in the log, the mate was drunk last night. Well, the mate said, you didn't have to do that. The captain said, it's true, isn't it? The mate said, well, yeah, but you didn't have to do that. The captain said, it's true, and it stays there. And about two weeks later or more, the captain came to take over his watch, and he looked, and the mate had written in the log, the captain was sober last night. So there you have your story. Now, which is the most damning comment? All right. Well, thanks for the little anecdote there, Ken. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, like like you mentioned, we're not here to try to say one way or the other. We're just here to report the facts. At least that's uh, that's what we try to do here. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time to come on and speak to me. I, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, you guys are back to work here this Thursday with another TNRD board meeting after the, the, the winter break. So, uh, we'll and look you know you're to welcome that. there. Oh, we always know, and, and we'll be uh, calling you, if nothing else, to follow up on what goes down. So thanks so much for taking the time, Ken. I always appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was director of the Thompson-Nicola Regional District, or the chair, excuse me, of the TNRD, Mr. Ken Gillis. Uh, coming up after the break, uh, we're going to be talking about what's going on with those Kamloops Blazers.
Man, I don't know if you guys saw what happened on Saturday night, but there were 230-plus penalty minutes handed out, 18 fighting majors in their second of back-to-back -back games against the Kelowna Rockets in Kelowna on Saturday night. I'll be joined by Blazers play-by-play -play announcer John Keane after this. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Monday, January 13th. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, the Blazers scored a pair of wins here over the weekend, uh, playing a mini-series home-and-home with the Kelowna Rockets. Scored a win here in Kamloops on Friday before scoring another win in Kelowna on Saturday. But really, that's not the tale of the tape that uh, kind of made the highlights here. So I'm joined now by Blazers play-by-play -play announcer John Keane. John, thanks for uh, coming on the show here. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, like myself, you were also uh, in Kelowna as well as the uh, NL News team for uh, that uh, game that I think will be talked about here for a while uh, coming up the rest of the rest of the season. Yeah. So uh, for anyone who uh, didn't get a chance to see the highlights or you know is unaware of what took place on Saturday night, uh, the tail end of the game there were 18 fighting majors. There was a line brawl. Uh, come the end of the game, there were just four players left on each bench. Um, you know, it was a it was a pretty exciting game. If you're into that sort of old-time hockey, um, I mean, maybe just break down sort of what you saw here. I mean, was this something that you expected? Things got a little chippy on Friday night, but uh, I didn't think it would carry over into Saturday the way that it kind of did come the end of the game. You know, you're right. I think um, I think there was some sort of a expectation that we could see some carryover, but we we didn't really see that carryover being with big two points in the line. And remember, the Blazers win that game Saturday. They're ten points clear of Kelowna in the standings and also holding the game at hand. So um, it did, uh, in fact, rear its ugly head when uh, the Blazers went up 6-2. to two. Uh, We started to see Kelowna's focus uh, shift to, to that. Um, and after a, a couple of, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one battles, kind of, a, you know, uh, agreed to upon fights with, you know, Zane Franklin and, and Matthew Wedman, two 20-year-olds, and then uh, Anya Bucci and, and Dallin Wilton, um, all, I guess, is fair in, in love and war so far, but I think the ensuing face-off after that mm -hmm. uh, Onyebuchi-Wilton fight is where things really got out of hand, and, and I don't want to spend too much time you know, with the intricacies of the game, but when a coach has last change, like Adam Foote did, he put his uh, toughest players out there, regardless if they were um, forward or defensemen. So we actually put four defensemen out of his five, two lined up at forward, uh, and they were out there for one reason. So you want to look at intent, that's, that's the intent right there. Uh, Blazers uh, had, uh, were caught out there with some young players, uh, three rookies, I believe, on the ice, uh, three or four rookies, uh, and they were all pretty much goaded into uh, dropping the gloves. Um, and, and, you know, I'm saying things, you know, the last couple of days I haven't said in a while uh, in regards to this stuff, but the young guys all showed up and did a good job and, and held their own. You know, these are things you used to say 10, 15 years ago, but, uh, you know, you, you rarely talk about it now. Yeah, and and like uh, like you mentioned there too, even the goalies did eventually get into it. I don't know if that had yeah, been mentioned sure. here Can't between us, that. but yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was sort of, uh, I guess, the highlight of the game, if you will, despite the fact that the game itself was was pretty uh, entertaining for the most part. And um, yeah, it was a pretty clean contest until the Blazers made it six two, and then things just sort of got out of hand after that. Um, I mean, what 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 do you think is going to come as a result of this? I mean, when you're talking about uh, you know head coach Adam Foot, they're putting out four defensemen for that one faceoff. Clearly.
clearly, um, you know, with the intention of, of getting into some scuffs. Uh, I mean, are you expecting some suspensions or some the league to kind of step in and do some about kind of what happened here on Saturday night? I, I am. I really am, Jeff. And, and there will be fines uh, to both teams. Uh, any sort of multiple fight scenario, the WHL results uh, in a fine, uh, and it kind of varies as to the degree of it. There was actually, you know, two multiple fight situations uh, in the game because a little bit later on, a couple of faceoffs later, there was another uh, two-on-two battle back in the Blazer in there. Um, uh, now, it's going to be interesting because we haven't really seen this in, in a few years. Uh, and the standard has somewhat changed when it it comes to this. Something like this would have resulted, you know, in the past, and I'm talking recent past, 10 years ago, in uh, in the coach being suspended a game, probably, um, for, you know, showing some intent there, showing some, you know, premeditation, some some deliberate actions uh, with the personnel crew. Now, we're, we're 2020 here, and I just can't kind of estimate what it would be um you know and i'm sure you know their coach and gm will will weigh in on things as will the blazers and, and they'll try to get to the bottom of it uh but there's a, there's a lot of smoking guns here and not only the players uh but but talk of some you know premeditation uh, on some of the uh, radio interviews leading up to the game not on radio at all uh, the other smoking gun would be uh, at the end of the game in the Kelowna Daily Courier, uh, their coach talking about how they had to take matters into their own hands because the referees weren't. Comments like that, you know, and, and Adam Foote, you know, uh, NHL, Stanley Cup winner, gold medalist, really green WHL coach, really green coach. And that's starting to show a little bit. You just can't come in and say those things, act that way, and not expect some sort of punishment on the other side. Uh, and I think he's going to have to learn pretty quick about how this league operates. And, uh, and I think that message could be delivered as early as tomorrow. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the officiating there over the weekend? I mean, you had mentioned, um, you know, that... I heard you say on the broadcast itself, um, you know, that, that you, you actually didn't think the the game was was too poorly officiated. It wasn't so much like the game got out of the hands of the officials, and and uh, you know, it wasn't you know a, a huge rough and tough game until those last you know six minutes or whatever it was. Um, I mean, do, do you feel like the officials did a good job of trying to keep things under control for the most part, even though it sort of didn't really work out that way in the end? Well, when you're looking at it from a Blazer perspective, you're going to say yes, right? Because they they were, uh, Kelowna was going after some of the more skilled guys with some hits, uh, some dangerous hits. Uh, Connor Zary uh, drew a couple penalties because he's been a target, uh, was a target all weekend and has been all season. Uh, and Josh Piller. The, the, the one call that I think Kelowna has the beef with, the biggest beef, was late in the second period. The Blazers were already on the power play, and Josh Piller eats not one but two cross checks in front of the net. They call the second one and that puts the Blazers on the five on three for just over a minute you were there you saw what happened Jeff the Blazers double up that power play they score on the five on three and the five on four and that puts the game away right there so there's a moment there where they feel that there was uh, uh, maybe they, they they were too aggressive on on the penalty so that that's where the game got lost as far as Kelowna was was concerned but it, you know what when you don't have the puck all night long uh, and you're chasing the game, you're going to get called. And, and I've been on both sides of it. I've seen the Blazers not with the puck uh, over the years, too. And, and they're going to be the team that gets called. The best way to avoid a penalty is to have the puck and, and make the other team defend you. And, and that's usually when you see the penalties called.
Now, uh, you know, with the fact that the Blazers did score two wins, uh, you know, they got the four points. Kelowna got zero. They're now 10 points clear of the Rockets in the standings. The Rockets sitting third in the BC division, and, and uh, Victoria now sitting uh, second, six points behind the Blazers. I believe the Royals also have uh, a game in hand as well. So uh, looking at the standings now, I mean, is there... Is is it really just Victoria and Kamloops kind of fighting for the top spot now? I mean, ten points is a lot to make up. I know there is still quite a few games left, but that's that's a pretty tall order for any team to make up ten points. Yeah, the the reason why I think that's an accurate statement is because uh, Kelowna here has a really tough road ahead of them here this weekend. They they go into the two toughest U.S places uh, into portland and everett for three games uh they're they're banged up they probably won't have their coach for some of that road trip they lost their starting goaltender reportedly to a shoulder injury in that fight and that's something that we probably haven't talked about so Kelowna's out there instigating some of the scraps out there at least you know, from the blazer perspective and the goaltenders get together and roman Bazarin uh reportedly suffered a shoulder injury uh, in that fight so i mean uh, definition of rock bottom right now i think uh based on you know the injuries and just where they're at right now and the fact that they have to go in and play in these really tough u.s markets so victoria i think has a bit of an easier schedule uh, of the three teams uh, when you look at and, and i say easier schedule here's what i look at i look at how many games do you have against teams out of contention and as, as far as i'm concerned i see the Blazers with really 11 games down the stretch here against teams out of contention, and that's the highest of, of, of that three-team mix. So uh, the head-to-head games will be really important, uh, Victoria and Kelowna, and uh, also the Blazers and uh, Victoria have, uh, I think, four head-to-head games remaining, uh, and, and those will really probably tell a story. But you know how it is, Jeff. You, you follow the NHL a lot, 10 points to make up, in the second half of the season is just just a long road uh, to try and do that. Mm-hmm. And it's always become more difficult since those uh, loser points were introduced, right? It's always uh, yeah, that much correct. more difficult to, to make up ground. Yeah. I'll get you out of here on this, John, because you are uh, off to Spokane here today have for uh, a game against the Chiefs tomorrow night. Uh, just what are you looking forward to uh, in this one? I know the uh, the Chiefs have coming off back-to-back wins over the Vancouver Giants, and the, and the Blazers go in winning uh, four in a row. So just what, what are your thoughts on uh, what this game is going to look like tomorrow night? Well, it'll be interesting. Um, Spokane's a really highly offensive team. Uh, they can score goals. Uh, with that said, the Blazers, uh, likely as it looks right now, will be without uh, Dylan Garand and Connor Zary, uh, shaping up to be that way anyways because of top prospects game. They have to get to Hamilton uh, for some of the festivities leading up. There's, you know, there's dinners and there's uh, interviews and the skills competition. So I'm expecting them likely not to be playing in tomorrow's game in Spokane. So that puts a lot on race Rams. Uh, we'll have to see the fallout from the weekend as far as potential suspensions. So it's going to be really interesting to see that. That might be a bit of a you know a bit of a track meet style game there. We'll wait and see. Um, so that'll be a tough one. The Blazers can get through that. Then a little bit of greener pastures ahead as, as they host Tri City here and in back to back games here Friday Saturday night. Right on. Well, uh, drive safe on the way down there. And, uh, yeah, of course, you can all hear that game uh, right here on Radio NL. The Kamloops Blazers paying a visit to the Spokane Chiefs tomorrow night. Thanks so much for doing this, John. Always appreciate your time. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great week. 
That was Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane. And one more time, you can listen to the Blazers game tomorrow night in Spokane right here on Radio NL. Puck drop is set for 7.05. Kamloops gunning for a fifth straight win while Spokane aims for a third victory in a row. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me. And a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know we enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.